as we jump into our message today is we provide some notes. There's some in your program there, but there's also just a QR code. You can scan with your phone, with your camera, and you got the notes there. It's a good little tool. You can save them if you're a digital person. Uh, if you're just a good old-fashioned pen, write that down. I- I've learned this is that you can, if you just listen to the message, you're going to absorb about 20%. Uh, if you write some things down and not even read it again, I know that sounds weird, like, did I even do it? You're going to probably absorb about 50% of it. Now, the other thing that you can do is actually read it again and then talk about it as we do these small groups throughout the week in our series, Unstoppable, and then it reinforces a little bit more of actually doing something with it, which I think is the whole point. The, the best message, the best sermon, oh man, that was a great sermon. The best sermon are not the one preached, it's the one that's lived. And so how do we take the truths of Jesus and live them out? And so that's what we've been doing in this series going through the book of Acts called Unstoppable. And I was thinking about this title about God just being unstoppable, but really his church is a force to be unstoppable. And we know in our world, specifically in the last few weeks, where forces move in to to overcome another Entity. We've seen that with countries, with Russia and Ukraine, and that, that being in the, the forefront. And I was thinking about, as I was watching, as you're watching the news, it's what we find the tactic of warfare isn't, isn't, just, isn't just bombs and guns and tanks. It's psychological. You know, we, we, it, it's through pamphlets and flyers and, and, and prop, propaganda. You know, we, we watch the news where we, the, you know, Russia not only being cut off, but they're cutting themselves off. They're, they're cutting, you know, they're cutting the internet. You know, I, tomorrow they, they, they banned, they're banning Instagram. And I, I heard already, you know, they're, they're banning like Netflix. It's like, if you want to really take down your enemy, just just take Netflix away, right? Uh, and yet, here's the reality is history shows us that that has, was an incredible and horrible tactic that the, the enemy would use to not only send, send propaganda across the world, but to their very own people, the people that they're trying to capture psychologically and as well as win them over. Uh, few years ago, 2015, I had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and, and visit. And if you, if you go to Jerusalem, please put on the list besides the, the, the historical places of where, where Jesus walked is Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is this Holocaust museum there. And I never, I didn't know anything about it until the day I showed up and, and went through the tour with my group. And when I visit Yad Vashem, and, and you'll see the picture here, this is, uh, in, in, the, in the phrase Yad Vashem, let me get this right, it means a name and a place. And their, their, their dream or goal, I guess, is that they would run, of the 6 million Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, in fact, 1.5 million were children, which just horrible, horrible things to see, to see just stepping over, like, like a whole room under glass with little, little tiny shoes. The shoes represented all the souls of the people, these children. And, and, and what, 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 what got me the most was the beginning of the tour where they showed the systematic propaganda of, of spreading racism. 
that started even not only the, the brochures and pamphlets that were happening of, of a superior race, but also they created games for children to be anti-Semitic, to, to hate Jews. Uh, and, then, and then seeing actually pictures of things where congregations were gathered for racist rallies. And I, and I, and I, and I, I, I watched this and I read this and, and I looked at it and I was just... I was just gripped. I was gripped what humanity could do to actually potentially do that. But, we're, but what I discovered is we're all subject to it. It hit me so much as if I was there at that right place or maybe the wrong place at the wrong time, how, how would I have been any different in you know, Berlin of 1937? How would I have, would I have been caught up in the same same thing. And so I, I, it hit me so much is that we know obviously that there, there's ruthless dictators in the world and there's, but we need to know that there's a, it's not just a superpower that manipulates our minds. There is a common enemy. Satan is doing a, a you know, really big job lately in convincing people of, of lies that are there. And I, as we jump into the book of Acts, I want to give us this thought this morning about all this that I've been thinking about is this. The voice we believe reveals the view that we see. The voice that we believe reveals the, the view that we see, that we're all subject to these voices. We're all subject to this propaganda that's out there that can lead us down the, the road of lies because that's what we know, what we've been influenced on. And our values, our view of life is shaped by the voices that we hear. And specifically, it can come down to our own voice, that, that, sh that our own voice is shaped by it. And, and, and so whatever you know, messages you hear, you, you and I interpret them and we, and we say maybe they're, they're manipulated enough that, that can convince us of things. I mean, and then when we talk about things like trigger words, like politics and rights and mask mandates and vaccines, you know, all these, these trigger words we've gone through these last year and all the pins and everything. I mean, just bring up one name last week, Russell Wilson. And it just sends us through the, the roof, doesn't it? All these things that, that, that trigger us to think, and it all goes back to the this, the inner voice has shaped our perspective of life. And what happens, which leads to good and bad, it affects our beliefs that leads to the behavior and how we live. And yet something so awesome is, if you discover as a follower of Jesus, is that actually the, the voice of God is the one that can change our view. And that when you hear God's voice, it can change you and it can and open your eyes to see the world the way, hopefully, that, that God sees his world, not the way others would see. This voice that leads us down the right road of life, it leads us toward his, his will. And, and, and there's so many examples in scriptures today as we jump in, into Acts. There is one particular person that we're going to focus on here. It, it is the Apostle Paul, uh, who, as we turn into Scripture, he's introduced as Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Now, I've heard this before when God gets people's attention. Many times it would be maybe, you've heard this, you know, uh, God speaks in a still small voice. Have you heard that before? God speaks in a still small voice? If you have. And I would say sometimes he does. Sometimes God will use a two-by-four to do it. 
And that's the case for Saul, who we find here as we look at is Saul of Tarsus. That we learn his, and we discover how he's strongly influenced by the voices that have shaped his life. We need to go back to 34 AD. Go back to where there's this small group, a, a sect of Judaism that was called the way that was forming. It was gaining speed and gaining momentum. Why? Because their leader, Jesus, had claimed to be the Messiah and he, he uh, died, but then he rose again as he said he would and now has gathered a, a mass group of followers. A, a group of people was just a, you know, 12 ragtag group of band brothers to 120 to 3,000 and then the time that that Saul enters the story there's 5,000 believers and 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 what happened was as it's picking up steam there was a desire to squash it like a spider as we talked a few weeks ago but it couldn't it wasn't a spider movement it would be a starfish movement you cut a leg another leg grows back you you you, you, you can't stop this unstoppable force that was happening called the church. And what it did is it threatened the religious status. It, it, it threatened, well, it actually threatened peace. Because this uproar that was happening, this movement was taking place, was getting the attention of, of the Roman Empire. And, and Judaism, you know, the Jewish people, they, they did all they can. They lived in fear and they did all they can to preserve their traditions. And they didn't want to lose those traditions. They wanted to make sure that they kept it all in line. And any disruption or any kind of insurrection, anything that would, would flare up to affect that give the attention of the Roman government, they avoided that. And so they tried to self-regulate. And so they sent people in and they issued people to go and say, we've got to, you can't do that. You can't speak this way. This, and so what happened was there was religious zealots in, in, in place to help with that. And, and Saul of Tarsus was one of them. Now, what do we know of Saul of Tarsus? Well, later we read as he becomes the apostle Paul, he, he puts in his own writing, he was Jewish. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the, the Jew of Jews. He was the most elite of all of, of the Jewish people. He spoke three languages. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Greek. He was a Roman citizen. So he had this opportunity, which ended up being able to leverage later. He, would, he was a, a young rising star. He, he, he sat under the teaching of Gamaliel, which was a very, very famous Pharisee, Pharisee rabbi that was a teacher. He was part of the Shimonite school. It had such clout. So he, he knew it had everything, and he, but he had this, this zealous saying, we've got to stop this movement. And if the way to stop it, it would lead to violence. Saul becomes this religious thug. And we read just last week, but I want to go back to Acts chapter 8. And this is what it says. This is, the, this is the setting in which all this is taking place. It says, A great wave of persecution be, began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers were sick. The apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen, which we talked about Stephen dying last week with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. What was happening was good news and bad news for the church. The, the bad news is they're experiencing massive persecution. 
trying to get, trying to push them away and, and stop them. But what happened was it, it pushed them out. It, the scripture said there, it scattered them across the ancient world. The church actually spread because of that persecution. And so all that was going on and the zealous of the gospel stirred up the religious, also got zealous, Saul going, we've got to put a stop to this. We've got to do something. So he's heading north with his henchmen from Jerusalem to Damascus so that he could stop the gospel from spreading to this gateway city. That Damascus was the city. If it got to Damascus, it could really spread into the, the, and spread into the Roman roads that would head out, and they didn't want to do that. So we pick up in Acts chapter 9, which hopefully you read last week. We're going through our, our study. Oh, by the way, if you, have, you don't know, you're trying to catch up with it, you can go to ctk.church north slash north bay slash unstoppable, and you can click on that in our page, and it has all that we're studying, our, our growth guide, our group study and questions, and, and all those, that information there, you can look that up. But, we're, but last week we read 9 and 10. It says this, uh, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressing to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So this guy is, Saul is, is deliberate. He's hellbent. Well, in his mind, heaven, heaven bent. Because in his righteous religious thing, he's got to stop this. He's got he's to end this. And yet, as we find is, who he's fighting against is going to be very, very unstoppable. And on this road, it was really a six-day journey. Saul hears not the voice of anyone and the voice of the past and this tradition. He hears the voice that would rock his world and reshape his worldview. It was a voice that would reverberate, reverberate throughout his life. In fact, in such a dramatic way that what we have today, the, the Bible, much of the New Testament, the letters of the, to the churches, this is the guy that God used to write. Huge moment happens here this day. So we jump into it. Let me ask, where are you heading down the road of life right now? Where are you heading down the road of life? Where, where is the trajectory of your life? What is your goals? What is your ambitions? What are you hoping to accomplish next? Much of what you're thinking about and what that looks like has everything to do with your, the voice that you're listening to. What is that? How, how is that voice shaping you? Or maybe voices, influences that are shaping you. Some of us can be the voice of the voice of fear can come over us as we wondering of our finances, of our health, or the care of others around us. And so we're going down that road, making sure things are okay. And, and things, things are okay. Sometimes it's good to make sure they're okay, but there's overwhelming fear that drives us. Maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's, it's something that you're trying to accomplish and get done in, in a certain amount of time. Maybe it's just pleasure. Maybe it's just, I want to live life the way I want to live it. Some of these things are not bad things, but there's, the, but there's a direction that we're going, that are heading down. It's based on what we're hearing. The voice we believe really reveals the view that we see. And for, for Saul, the lenses of his life was being this religious zealot. But what was, the problem was, what was 
he wasn't really seen. He was, well, blinded by his own ambition and his own pride. And God knew, knew that something needed to stop here for the, the, the unstoppable movement. There needed to be a stopgap. And this particular zealous religious leader is not going to get into the way. So there was going to be a moment. And the moment happens here in verse 3. It says, as he was as Saul was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him, and he fell to the ground, hearing a, vo- a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Again, God sometimes can speak in a still small voice. Sometimes, you, maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Has anybody heard that? The Holy Spirit's a gentleman? Not for Saul at that moment. It was a, it was a moment struck blind. Let me ask, when have you been blinded by your own ambition? Many there's a time where you have your goal in life, pleasure, success, security, and, and, and what brings you happiness. And you're, you're heading down that road and everything is looking good. And then you have a wake-up call. Then you have a moment that happens. For some of us, it might have been an, an accident. It might have been an illness. It might have been a, a breakup or a job loss. Some type of crisis that literally at times probably has brought you to your knees. I know my wife and I, our own, our own life, or health concerns and things that literally were praying on the edge of our bed, say, God, we don't know what to do. You've got to help us with it. We've all been there. But it's what we do at that moment, how to respond, matters so much. Well, we're going to look at how Saul responded to Jesus himself. But I want to talk about this, and this is where you can put some notes in, you can fill in as this. When we, when we embrace the voice of God to change our view, the first thing what happens is this, is it rewires our motives. It rewires our motives. Saul got, it's getting close to Damascus, and he sees this light, and a voice that confronts him and says, Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you, this is Jesus' words, why are you persecuting me? Now, God could, Christ could have used a different approach. His voice could have spoke differently. It could have been, what do you think you're doing? You want a piece of me? You know, you know, you, you know you, it sucks when you're wrong, buddy. You know, you're, you're, you're on the highway to hell. It's actually these words are not condemning words, probably convicting words, but why? Saul, are you doing this? Interesting to me. Interesting. The way God approaches Saul. This experience is so powerful. It, it, what it happens is it changes Saul's very motive of his identity. Saul would retell his story later in Acts, in the end of Acts, in Acts 26. They, he, taught, he recalls again as he tells his own testimony. And here he's before a Roman a Roman political figure. It says in Acts 26, about noon, King Agrippa, as was on the road, he says, as I was on a road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around in my, com- my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are, do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, it's interesting Paul adds this line later, kicking against the goads, and you're wondering, goats? Goats? What is he talking about? Goads were little, you know, sharp sticks that prodded, many times, probably oxen for 
for driving them, for plowing. And he basically says, you know, there was a Roman phrase, there's no way, you know, you could kick against the goats. It's like, it, just give up. There's no way you can fight this, is, is this phrase that they used back then. Basically this, you can't resist me. I'm Jesus. I, I'm, I'm God. I'm, I, this is an unstoppable movement that's happening. It, it, is, the, it is God's will. It's going to take place. It's interesting, uh, I mentioned uh, that, that Saul was raised up in, in teaching under the, the great Rabbi Gamaliel. And it says in Acts 5, we read just a couple weeks ago, of this moment where they're confronting the apostle Peter and John and it, it, this is what Daniel says. This is his words. He says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for their purpose or activity is of human origin. It will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. If, it's a, if, it's a, if it truly is happening, there's no way you're going to stop it. Get, don't, don't get in the way of it. Let me ask you personally, are you kicking against the goads lately? Are you trying to force your way? Are you trying to make your life happen and it's not going the way you want it and you just try to force it to happen? You know, that square peg in the round hole, you're like, it's got to fit. I remember in, 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 uh, as a kid, I realized that I had that kind of tensing personality. I used to make model airplanes and I would, I would, I, I got the snap together once because my mom said that the glue is not good to sniff, okay? So anyway, so that was a good thing, by the way. Um, so she get me the snap together once. Well, I, I would try to force the piece together and it wouldn't snap together. And you know what? I got my own glue and I glued the snap together model airplanes I was trying to put together. What was I trying to do? It was a young age trying to force something to happen. Hey, that's a great thing to have ambition. It's great to have a drive, but are you forcing something that shouldn't be there? That is a huge thing for some of us. Are you fighting against God's will? There's, there is a, there's God's will and you're, you're going this direction and God's trying to get you back in alignment on the road. Why are you resisting this? Something to think about for your life when it comes to relationships and direction and, and really pursuing a, a walking, with, walking with Jesus on a regular basis. Your way, it seems like a great way, but it's actually, as the Bible says, leads to death. It's not a great a great way. And so this resisting God. So, and here's the thing about resisting. There's people here in this room or people watching that you didn't grow up in the church and you don't really have any religious background. And what you're, what you're resisting God's will is, is, as I mentioned, your way of, of going about it. And I want to encourage you to explore God's way. Because if, if it is an unstoppable force, you're not going to be able to stop it. And you're going to be kicking against it the rest of your life. And you're not going to, you're not going to win. And, 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 and uh, be con con consider God's way, and that would be surrendering your life to Jesus. But also there's some, which is in the case for Saul, that you need to be converted from a religious background. See, that was what was going on from him. Saul wasn't converting from paganism to Christian. He was converting from religion to Jesus. And that's a big difference. That type of conversion is, is, is one who could be morally good and, and zealous and religious, but wholeheartedly, or their whole heart is actually in the wrong place. That's a much harder person to reach. When you, know, when you think you've already got it figured out and dialed in, that you don't, 
you already think you know God and you don't. That's a hard, that's a hard audience to reach. Saul was one of those persons. So God asks him why. And it's a good question for us is why do you go to church? Why do you study scripture? Why do you pray? Saul did all that he know to do. I mean, he, he followed all the rules. He checked all the boxes of religion. But what did it lead him to? It led him to hatred and prejudice. When I was in the Yad Vashem and I saw the description of the church and how racism entered the church, and, and that was in Europe and all that happened, we see in our own, our own country. Like, how did that happen? Because religion will do that. Religion will drive us to be separate, to follow the rules and the way we're doing it and lead to support, superiority and pride. And there is prejudice that, that comes with it. Paul, or Saul had the wrong motive and it was a wake-up call for him. And it was this moment where he was hearing the voice of Jesus and it was rewiring the very motive of his heart. The other thing about hearing the, the, the voice reveals your view is this, it reforms our beliefs. It reforms our beliefs. How many of us know that a lot of what we believe is the voices, how we, we've been influenced. And Saul was influenced and in he thought in all the right ways. And yet, here is the very voice of Jesus that he really doesn't recognize it. Look what it says. It says this is Saul's response back. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. I find it interesting. You could spend your whole life giving the right theology and the right the right answers to God, you think it's God, and miss Jesus completely. Here he studied scriptures. He, he studied, they're looking and waiting for the long-awaited Messiah, and, 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 and they didn't see him. He was before his eyes. And that was for the entire, that's today, the entire nation of Israel. I bet when I, when I stood at the, the wailing wall and overlooked the, the temple and, and looked in the Mount Transfiguration, and I, and I saw it all, and I asked my, my Jewish guide, now why don't you believe in Jesus? He says, oh, well, if, 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 if the, you, you believe the Messiah is going to come back, Jesus come back, we believe the Messiah is still going to come. And if it's the same person, then we'll believe. That's what he told me. I'm like, ah, missing it completely. And, and here this was happening with Saul. He was, he's missing. In fact, he, he says this, Lord, he says, with a lowercase L. He's just calling it. It's like calling him sir. Doesn't even realize who he is. He's, what happened? He was blinded by this religious pride. And what had to happen was Jesus had to blind him so that he could see. Paul's whole belief system was crumbling before his eyes because he, he no longer now had to focus on re religion and how actually was going to turn to relationship. Notice what it says that Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not just my people, not just, you know, in general. So in me, God was taking it, making it personal. Why? Because he's a personal God. And it's a warning to us that you could go to, you could go to church a thousand times and it just, it really, it matters because it hel it's helpful, but you could, it's, religious repetition just causes us at times to tune out. Even people right now, people that are watching this are tuning out because they've done this over and over and they've heard this over and over. Religion doesn't have the power to set people free from addiction, from health concerns, from, from healing our marriages to, to transform our community. Only a relationship with Jesus will do that. 
And, and Jesus makes it clear all through. When you read through the, the letters in Revelation 1 and Laodicea, they, they had everything. They had, they had the, quote, right religion. They had, the, they had prosperity economically. And he, he called them kind of pitiful, poor. And, but what he does, though, he invites them into this relationship with him. You, you got it all figured out. You got it all dialed in because you're missing me completely. But he gives this invitation. He says, look, he says I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would uh, hear, you know, hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal with them and be, be their friend. Saul went from religion to relationship. Can I encourage you? Don't, don't let any other voice drowned out this voice that's speaking to you and calling you to his very personhood a relationship with Jesus and so what happens when we do that out of relationship it changes the trajectory of our life what happened when when Saul really understood and heard the voice of Jesus he looked out his view and what it ended up doing lastly is this it reroutes our direction it reroutes our direction you see the voice of Jesus was interrupted in Saul's life, but it, you know what? It ended up doing it invaded someone else's as well. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, now there was, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Uh, calling Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas, where you, when you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul. He's praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Let me ask you, have you ever had to deliver news to a bad guy? <laughs> You ever had to be the, the, the bearer of bad news? You ever have to approach someone, you're going, ah, I could lose my job or my life. You know, I've, I've had moments, nothing close to that, but I remember I've delivered flowers, I've delivered pain, I've delivered pizza. And I remember delivering a pizza to the most shadiest place I've ever seen in Bellingham. I know Bellingham isn't that scary, but I'm like at the door and, and dropping a pizza off. And I just, there was an eeriness about that. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, of course, back then we didn't have cell phones. There's no GPS. Like, I'm thinking, how will they retrieve my body? How will they know? How will, how will my roommate know or my mom knows where I'm, I'm at? How are they going to find? There's going to be, I'm thinking this in my head as I'm delivering it. Like, it's going to be like weeks before they're going to find it, you know? And I just... And, and then the guy opened the door and he had like a, he had a, like a, he had a cape on that scared me a little bit and, and some body paint and images and stuff. And so I, I didn't want to judge him or anything like that, but I'm like, here's your pizza. Like, Hey, do I, like, that's good. It's, I just kind of kept, kept going. So all that to say, where we're going is you might've had times where you've had to deliver the news. You've had a, a place where you had to, you know, and, and I don't know what you, you know, if you were Ananias, how I'd respond, but this is how he did. He goes, but Lord, he says, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the, the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And suffer he did. We could read, Paul writes of the letter in his letters what happened to him. He's, he's beaten, he's jailed, he's left for dead. He's shipwrecked, not one time, but three times. Who goes through that? 
But Paul converts to Christ and the tables get flipped. He's the one at one point was the rallying the, 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 the crew to take Christians out and he now becomes the target. You can read it later. The same group mob that he, was, he had formed now turned on him. Jesus says he's Saul's my chosen instrument. And he was. God used Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, with one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary church planner, and, and much of the New Testament that we have that he penned and wrote. But we, but we need to realize that we're, we're chosen people as well. And that as we talk, we'll talk next week on where this was a big jump for people, for non-Jewish people to understand. But we as the church are the chosen people. Peter writes it this way. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Can I tell you here today, you are chosen people. God has chosen you for where you live, where you work, where you go to school, and the family that you have. When you walk into your workplace tomorrow morning, you are chosen to be there. God placed you in that place, in that moment, to, to not just do your job, but to be with the people that he wants to reach. Through kindness, through love, through generosity, whatever steps he's leading you to do, you are that chosen person. You are the chosen person. If you're a student, the class you're in, and even the teacher that you can influence in the way saying, I'm here for a reason. I'm chosen by God in this place. You're chosen by God in your neighborhood with the, with the neighbors around, your family that you live in. And you know, I know sometimes you can't choose your family, but God, God chose you to be in your family, an opportunity. Why? Called you out of darkness, called you out of whatever blindness that you have experienced into this light, into this revelation of who he is to help other people that are spiritually blind hear the voice and respond as well. And Ananias was a chosen one as well. It, but he's a little resistant. like, God, I don't think that's what I want. Do I really have to go to the mob boss to do that? But he uses him such a way. And this, as we'll read next week, of this movement that took place that was beyond just this little sect of Judaism to this unstoppable force called the church. It's pretty amazing. And this moment that happened. Scripture says, when Ananias found Paul, it says he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after he ate some food and regained his strength. It's interesting that the scales fell off his eyes. I think that was there for a great purpose that where there was blindness of religion and and, and a view that he had that was so limited with it in his focus, God had to blind him first and then to give him actually the real sight that he needed to really see. But there was a humbling that took place. You know, he didn't know those three days. He didn't know maybe he'd be blind the, the rest of his life. And, and, and we read that, you know, later on, Paul talks about how he struggled in eyesight. He goes, with big hands, I, or big hands, big, big, uh, big letters, I write my, my letter to you. Paul regains this sight enough to know, but what changed was his spiritual scene that now would set the trajectory of his life. No longer was he out to kill Christians. Now he became one. And he begins to see, but also he's called to help others see. This is what he says. 
in Acts 21 about this. But the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are, are non-Jewish people. I think, in fact, most of us here, I don't know your heritage, we're all, we're all the Gentiles. We're all the non-Jewish people that, that God is calling, that Paul was going to be a missionary to, to help me. Jesus is saying, help me open eyes. Help me open eyes. And, and, and Paul reflects on this in, in chapter 26. He says, I have... I will rescue you, both your own people and the Gentiles. Actually, Jesus is saying this. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people whom I've set apart by faith in me. This was massive. This huge paradigm shift. We'll talk more on it next week. was so massive and Paul was going to be the one that was going to help lead us the charge. God knew that this guy was filled with zeal. He's filled with um, charismatic giftings. He was, he was knowledge in scripture. He had everything going but what he was missing is a relationship with me and God took this not so gentle moment for Paul to be struck blind so that he could truly truly see well this is what happened as Saul converts from religion to Jesus it says Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying he indeed is the son of God and the results was the church ex exploded we it, it what happened we have all these letters that Paul wrote and that have the Bible in our hands today because of this moment that happened that day all because Someone heard God's voice, responded to it, and their world was changed, their worldview was changed, the look ahead for what he had. You can't resist the will of God. You can't kick against the goads. You can't, it, there's no way, this unstoppable force, but the best thing to do is to join in on it, not resist it. And I encourage you in that way. I invite our guys to come as we close here. I was thinking about today, our own lives, and, and, and I don't know what your moment will be. I don't know, maybe, maybe or you have had a moment where your eyes were open and, and began to see, and who you really began to see, well, it was, it was to see Jesus. Several years ago, did a student mission trip to Mazalan, Mexico. Uh, it was a great place to do a mission trip, but we are in the poorest of the poor in, in sections of the this, this city. And we decided one night to put a, a giant screen up and show the passion of the Christ. And at the end, we gave an invitation for people to respond. And there was a man, a Mexican man, he's weeping, he's on his knees crying. And finally, through some help and some interpreters, come to find out, the man tells his story. He's on a city bus, and he, had, he just found out he lost his job. And he was battling drug addiction. And in, even though he had a wife and kids, he was contemplating taking his life. In fact, his plan, he was thinking through a plan that he was going to get off at a stop and work on a plan to really end his life even that day if he was, he was hoping for. And instead, he looked up and saw this massive screen with Jesus on the cross. And he got a glimpse of Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. And it was that moment they rang the bell, got off the bus, and, and came to the, to the front of this place that we had to receive Christ. I don't know what your wake-up call is. I don't know what, what you, if you need to see a 50-foot Jesus before you, but he's already come. He's already revealed himself, and he's here today. 
And he's, he's, he's wanting not relate religion. Religion. Religion can lead to so much pain and problems in our world and in history. Jesus doesn't want religion. He wants relationship with him. So in through that relationship with him, we see differently what we see with the eyes that he sees the world, a world that's hurting, that's broken, that truly needs him. I know we're not the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul wasn't, one time wasn't the Apostle Paul. It's little old you and little old me, but what is the potential that God has for us? What do you see ahead now in your life when you look through the eyes of Jesus he has for you? It's endless and it's unstoppable. Let's not kick against the goads any longer. Let's not resist his will any longer. Let's not throw a bunch of religion at it to try to do a checklist. It doesn't work. What matters is that we get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus says, I want a relationship with you. I invite you in to this moment. Here's the question. Is the voice you're hearing the direction you need to go? Is God revealing himself to you today? Is it the road to Damascus? Is it Straight Street? Is it, is it Birch Bay, Linden Road you're heading down? I don't know. But there's a moment that I want to pray with you today. I invite you to close your eyes. And amazing. Sometimes we need to not see so that we can see. Why do we close our eyes? We just silence, blind us from all the distractions. And yet in the, in the darkness, there's voices that speak. And I'm praying right now that you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit that's just simply inviting you, inviting you in, inviting you into a relationship with Him. In fact, if you're here, you're watching, and you, you, you have not, you really have not surrendered your life to Jesus. You might be here and, and, and watching, you just don't, you haven't done church, you don't know much about it, you just know you've heard of Jesus and the cross and try to understand it, but, but understand that Jesus, he went to the cross for your sin, for your wrong, for your, for your ways, and you know you, you know how good and bad you've been, but it's not about being good or bad, it's about surrendering, because Jesus paid the price for your good and your bad, so you can have a relationship with him. So just say, Jesus, be, be my Lord, be my Savior, be, be, be the, the leader of my life today. For some of us here today, you would, you would say, though, you need to be rescued from religion to have relationship. In fact, you maybe have made it, made it more of a religious duty than, than a personal relationship. I invite you to say, Jesus, be personal in my life. Lord, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to kick against your will any longer. I don't want to do my thing, go my way. I, I just want to be in the flow of who you are in a relationship with you and, and go in the flow of this unstoppable movement you're, you're, that we're a part of, Lord. And, and we know and we recognize that there's all of hell that wants to stop the unstoppable, but they can't. And there's going to be pain and there's going to be problems and we can face persecution for our faith. But Lord, you're, you're at work in us and through us. And we, 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 no longer should we resist your will, Lord. And I pray that for us practically as we go into our day, or go into our week and go into each day, Lord, that, that God, we would come short and we'd have our Damascus Road moment saying, Lord, what am I doing? I, 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 I need to go your way and your direction. I cannot resist you any longer. It's not worth it, Lord God. 
Bring us to that place that you want us to have and walking and, and hearing you and following and, and in our declaration, in our crying out that we believe in you, we trust in you, Lord. God, in that flow and that belief, Lord, will lead to the good works and the good things you called us to do. So we hear your voice each and every day calling us to yourself, we pray.